Welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. Are you emotionally fit? We dig into this uh, topic directly related to how everyone perceives you and me, especially those closest to us. It's something that we're acutely aware of in regards to everyone we know, though we may not even be really conscious of it. And what you're going to find out is just how critical this root issue is to your very well-being and overall success. I mean, I've heard of EQ, emotional quotient for years, but never Never like this, uh, and you're going to hear that in the show, the ability to understand and healthfully deal with our own emotions as well as others is something that we're all basically flourishing from or suffering from. So a leading expert in this area is Miles Adcox. He is CEO of OnSite. They run workshops in Nashville, Tennessee. So uh, it's an internationally acclaimed emotional wellness lifestyle brand that delivers life-changing personal growth workshops, inspiring content, leadership retreats, emotional treatment. Uh, so I had heard about Miles and didn't really know him firsthand. And I just happened to start reading Donald Miller's book, Scary Close, which is a memoir. And right off the bat in the book, he enrolls himself in an on-site retreat that Miles is leading. And so, of course, that hooked me on the interest here. And from there, I really started researching this issue of emotional fitness and wellness. So the question is, you know, where is your emotional health? And how is it helping or hurting you? So we are in this show going to hear from the master himself, Miles Adcox, which uh, you can connect with him at onsiteworkshops.com. So we're going to get started right after I share these great resources. All right, here then I bring you Miles Adcox and this conversation on emotional fitness and why we all need to get aware right away. Well, Miles, I'm going to dig in with, uh, uh, to me is a deep question. I, I do a lot of work in the insurance arena and health insurance and health and wellness. And one of the things that I am so aware of, well, my business partner, he says, you know, the, the thing that's most dangerous is we don't know what we don't know. And, you know, we go along and we're, we're 35 years old, but we do somebody's blood work and find out, and you've got the, you know, you got the, the, the genetics right now of a, of a 55 year old, things are not doing well here or the opposite, you know, you're 55 and we do it and gosh, you know, your measurements, you're like a 30 year old, um, but you don't know. Well, here we're all going along with possible knowledge, even of emotional wellness or, or not. Uh, but I think, gosh, from the most, as I read, I mean, I go through your stuff, I think we're probably pretty oblivious. And what I want to know is what's, what do we miss? What's the cost of our unawareness of our emotional fitness, our emotional unwellness in today's culture? Uh, well, I mean, it's big. I mean, I, I get to see it up close and personal, uh, meaning getting the opportunity to walk with a couple thousand people a year. To me, it's 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 a lot. I, I get the opportunity to see a lot of people who have, you know, it's pretty normal that we we neglect that. Even those of us, I think, who pursue it and have self awareness are susceptible. Meaning, I'm in this space professionally. I also believe personally in pursuing emotional wellness and emotional health, and I even neglect it. And I think it's because we're in a in a in a desert, in a sense, uh, as I would describe our culture, uh, in that doesn't offer a lot of support, encouragement, 
uh, or opportunity for people to pursue that as a, as a normal way of evolving into a healthy version of who we are. It's something that is set, the way it happens now is it's either here's what's wrong with you that you'd go try to find this service and tune up um, or um, it's people write it off as self-care. <clears throat> and it's more than that. I mean, it is our absolute, I think emotional health is important as physical health. And I don't know that you can really separate the two. So more specifically, we see compounded stress or the inability to regulate or stay grounded affect almost every area of your health. And I think we're just learning actually what it does and what health factors it contributes to. Uh, but we know, um, emo- you know neglecting, neglecting our emotional health has just as much ability to kill you as neglecting your physical health if you if we went all the way to the extreme but it, on the surface it's just missing out on what i have experienced to be a much more deeper intimate connected life um, and that's the part i wish people could get now granted i want everybody to be healthy and live a long life but if everybody had the opportunity to experience life in a in a, in a present self-aware way then we end up talking to people about problems instead of talking about people. And there's so many other things, but uh, it's just the benefits are limitless. Well, okay. I got some questions on that, but I guess it would behoove me to, for myself and for the audience to let you give somewhat of a definition of what you mean by emotional health and emotional fitness. And I'm especially interested in that because I know you make a, you delineate, somewhat that from emotional intelligence, which is definitely a uh, matter of fact, before we, before I really got into your stuff and I was just kind of giving some definitions for the show, I, I think I wrote emotional intelligence and I saw you make a, 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 a segregation from that somewhat. And, uh, so I want to hear that. Yeah. Cause I've heard emotional intelligence, EQ, things like that. And you seem to be in a different space. So tell us what define emotional health and fitness for us. Well, it's, I'm not necessarily in a different space and I love the people that came before me that have done way more work than I have uh, on the, both the research side and um, have written about it more than I have, meaning EQ and emotional intelligence. I, I really value that as a body of work. Okay. I just think we have to always try to think how we innovate and move what we value into a, into a digestible thing that culture can consume because at this point um again even with some of the pioneers that that did great work around it people still weren't grabbing it at the level i think it needed to be uh, paid attention to so i just pivoted a little bit to try to make it uh more first it was for me because honestly i'm in this space i've primarily worked with people who needed it um granted we all need it but i always wondered why doesn't everybody get an opportunity to deserve this? Mm -hmm. And how could you package it in a way where people could hear it, where people could consume it and people wanted to be a part of it. So I started with me and because I was one of those people that would do, and and again, being in the therapeutic space, I would do therapy when I felt like I needed it Mm -hmm. and check it off the box and then not return to it until life offered another opportunity for adversity or stress or whatever. And then I would circle back to coaching or or therapy or something. And I thought, why is that the case? And what would happen if I were preventative in nature and already were open and had an outlet when adversity comes, could I handle it better? And I discovered that, that I could, that if I just kept a consistent practice and not made it an annual event, 
then it would work for me and others better. And I started seeing that in the people that we serve too. And that's why I, I like calling it emotional fitness instead of uh, some of the other ways it's been framed up simply because fitness is something that we have to sustain, not something we arrive at. And uh, I think the same applies emotionally. And I just, you know, I would define emotional fitness, which is very similar to the way you might see emotional intelligence defined as um, power, understanding, strength, and empathy around your mood and feelings towards yourself and others. So in a sense, it's just knowing yourself better, knowing the difference between emotions and feelings and where they are and where you're feeling them and how they impact how you relate to the world. Well, I appreciate how you started that off with just saying, you know, making it digestible so that we can better consume it because we know we're awash in you know, information and in knowledge, but what do we really consume? So being in the personal development arena, really all my life, since, uh, since I was a kid, that's what my dad's always been involved in and you're reading how to win friends and influence people and PR stuff and being aware of others and, you know, morphing to fit them. And it was, it was all this, it can almost sound manipulative, but I, you know, I knew both sides of that regardless though, I feel like I, I still this, this topic has never really come to the surface. I've read it here and there. I've, you know, I heard, heard other people talk about it, but as a tangible, uh, digestible back to what you said, uh, thing to look at, I I've not seen it rise to the surface and it's later in life. Now I'm 48 now that I have probably in the past five years that I've even become aware of my own deficits in emotional health and understanding my own, as a counselor said, my own emotional dashboard, Kevin, you have one and you don't pay attention to it. And the only one, you know, is this one, uh, you know, emotion, which maybe anger, uh, that's, there's a lot of them around that. And, and I'm oblivious and especially then understanding in intimate relationships, how to, uh, have compassion for my wife, my kids and others when I don't have emotional awareness, fitness, health. And I, do you feel like the Pied Piper out there to some degree of trying to say, not that you're the only one that's ever talked about it, but saying, well, folks, we're not, we're not giving this the gravity that it, that it needs. Well, and, and yes and no. I mean, there are a lot of great people talking about it and I appreciate your, your transparency there in your own process. Cause I can totally relate to it. I, I've learned in this process that there is one thing I can change. And, and that's me. And hopefully by becoming a better version of me, I can influence people, culture, the things that I get a chance to be involved with in a different and more effective way. And I think the, the therapeutic and, and behavioral health, mental health, counseling, whatever you want to call it, if you bundle us all together in, in a, a helping profession, I think for a long time we've microscoped people as the problem. And us as the experts. And I think we've gotten it backwards. I don't. So in other words, I don't look out there at what's wrong with them that they're not getting it anymore. I look at me and say, what's wrong with us that we're not communicated in a way that people want to buy it and buy it is the wrong word, but that people want to embrace it. I think the advertising community has got that dialed in and unfortunately sometimes in negative ways, but they have used our information psychology in a smarter way than we have mm -hmm. because they know how to bypass the rational, reasonable part of our brain and get us to just act and respond. And I think if we could take a page out of their playbook and think, how do we package, present, look at the, what, the way we've been doing things for a long time and figure out how to interrupt it so that more people will embrace it. 
but but now it's really great because I think the millennials and the Z's are are they're kind of demanding it, and I'm not sure why. I don't know if it was just we reached critical mass mm-hmm. with several generations that neglected it. But but honestly, when I look back at my father's generation and grandfather's generation, I don't know that they needed those tools as much as we need them now. Okay. I think back at that generation, there was a little bit more of they were surviving and you didn't have the luxury of going to a guidance counselor and picking a career that made you happy, you picked a career that would provide. And therefore, you were in, in a different space. Well, now there's not many people in, in our culture that are there, there, there are, I don't, I don't want to discount the ones that are, but most of us aren't surviving. Most of us have access to things that a lot of places in the world wish they did. And therefore, I think we have to pay more attention and be more self-aware and pursue emotional health. Because when you go and I, and I take uh, our work in, into other countries at times too, and, and you don't, you do see a lot of trauma you don't see a lot of depression and anxiety in third world countries because frankly, a lot of them can't afford it. Uh, They can't afford to be that way because they're in survival. So their brain has found another way to survive. But in a sense, we're trying to survive our own success in our culture. That is an interesting statement. Yeah. That in our privilege, we're not having to survive, you know, though I do want to hit on that. So on, on this topic though, coming back to your, you know, the the digestibility of this or making it uh, more so that let's talk about your buddy for a second, Donald Miller, um, who right now, you know, he's got such a focus uh, in the business world and that regardless of our product, our service, we're going to hear crickets. If we don't meet uh, people's, desire to thrive and survive. That's his big term. It's one I'm using in my business efforts right now. Every marketing thing we're putting out, I go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are, are we, are we hitting people front and center with something that will help them thrive and survive? So if we take that same terminology, that same focal point here with emotional fitness, what would be a, let's just, let's just surface back up to a, a, a layman's level. What would be a pitch on uh, cost and cost and, and, and benefit of, you know, if we're not emotionally fit, this is what we're missing out on. And let me just start there. The average person that you see, whether it's in the workplace or in their own uh, relationships, where are the majority of us that, you know, whether it's the millennials that you talked about or where are we suffering from lack of emotional fitness? What are the highlights? To be as close as I am to Don, uh, I'm a slow student, meaning I love and bought in and I get his concept and I have not, uh, especially I was an early adopter because he took onsite through it a long time ago. Yeah. I guess I'm saying I, I should have it dialed in since I spend so much time with that guy and be like, here is my message. And it's super clear, but I, but I don't, I'm still working on it. I'll give you what I'll, I'll give you a go. Um, but I'm going to put the disclaimer out there that it is still very much in process and progress. Yeah. I'm writing a lot on the topic right now. Yeah. Everything I write, I'm putting through the story brand framework. Yeah, uh, but it's still a little new. That's why I'm hesitant yeah, to try yeah, it yeah. because even when I say it, I confuse myself sometimes. <laughs> um, but if I, you know, I was just thinking through it, and I love the way you framed up that question. In, in a, you know, an easy one would just be happiness and health is what we're missing out on mm. because some of the happiest people I know um, are happy on the surface. And then backstage, there's a different story. 
And I've seen that over and over again. In other words, there's not a congruency in their life. And so they sustain that as long as they can until they hit a certain age. And uh, it ends up kind of coming out sideways into some negative behaviors. And, and, you know, we end up getting an opportunity to, to see them at that point, which is a great opportunity. But I wish people could get ahead of it sooner. And what I mean by happiness and health is that if the, the emotions required for us to feel true happiness, you could say joy, um, serenity. If we choose to numb sadness and anger, then we numb the others as well. Hmm. So emotional, in order to be, to be emotionally literate and really understand emotions, we have to learn how to feel the whole range in order to experience the whole range. Now, that may sound counterintuitive because it's like, I don't want to experience anger at the level that I experience joy. But the, the truth is, is that the more we're in touch with our anger, the more we can manage it appropriately versus letting it manage us. And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. Okay. Well, I, you know, it brings to mind uh, someone else, you know, uh, and worked with a friend of mine and friend of yours, Aaron McHugh. Yeah. Um, He's the one that brought to me. A matter of fact, it might have been uh, a time we did a pod, a couple of podcasts together. It's been a long time ago, and he talked and brought to my attention the concept, and maybe he got it from you or with you of emotional calories that we have so many that we can spend, and I, that related to me because coming from a, an athletic background and what I, I get it, I get it. There's so much energy we can put out. At some point, it's not infinite, and yet I think I have probably errantly viewed my emotions and my ability to deal with stuff as finite and him saying that gave me an idea of, gosh, that's why I get emotionally worn out. I have so many calories. And when I'm not being true to myself, when I am numbing anger, when I'm numbing sadness, when I'm trying to stuff it in there, I am finite in those efforts. And at the end of the day, get home. No wonder I have nothing left for my wife or my kids, because I have been expending so many things by not being, I don't know. I'll I'll let you say not being uh, aware of my emotional dashboard, not being true to myself. And I'm spending the whole day kind of modifying myself, trying to stay up and stay on edge. And then I, I, I'm at an, I'm at an end and that's a transparent, admission for myself that I found myself in my late mid and late forties now of realizing, man, this is not sustainable. This is not, but not having a lot of clarity on it and not being able to, as you said before, to digest it. So is that, am I, am I looking at that right with the, the calorie concept? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think whatever, um, whatever metaphor, uh, helps us understand it and, and get it. Uh, I am all on board for, I, I, I do like that one. And, and you're right. I, my experience, we don't get to selectively numb. We, when we numb, we numb everything. Mm-hmm. And I, but, but I will say we all numb. and I've, I've learned to not look at anything as bad or good, but that it just is what it is. And there's for some reason, biologically, we're kind of wired to manage stress in that way. And I don't think it's all bad. I mean, I, I think there's healthy ways to numb and I, even the unhealthy ones, uh, consuming media or social media, or and you can go on down the line with the most common ones today, which we all uh, screens are, are something new that um, a lot of really smart people uh, created to, to 
uh, in a sense, encourage us to numb and be addicted. So we're all struggling with that. Um, I shouldn't say we all, but the majority of the people I talk to are. But if not that, it's work, it's faith. There's a lot of things that we can um, over divulge our attention as a way to not look at things that are harder to look at. It's a part of the human condition, I believe. It's just when we fail to look at it or assume we should be somewhere else is when we really get in trouble with a potential blind spot or a deficit going forward. My experience, especially in the health and wellness arena and personal development, counseling, all that is the majority of practitioners, providers, which I'm going to put you in there, are doing what they're doing because they have their own story. Uh, their own struggle, either them or a close family member. It seems to be, I mean, it's, it's, it seems like it's 90, 95%. I mean, they're there because they've dealt with it acutely again, generally themselves, but often if it's not that, then it's an intimate relationship. And I know that's, uh, how you came into this, give, uh, share a little bit of, if you would, of that story of you, it sounds like it was just kind of the, the consummate corporate world story. You're doing what you're doing. You're having some successes, but then over here, is where you're starting to feel the results of a lack of emotional fitness. Yes. Correct. Yeah. I am. I am the atypical story of someone in our space. It's, it's not always the case, as you mentioned, but it's very, very common that people uh, come to what they do through the lens of their own experience. And in, in cases of people getting in the helping profession, it would be often through the lens of the broken parts of their experience. Yeah. I had plenty of those and I, um, thankfully had an opportunity uh, in my early 20s, uh, which I wish it was part of the curriculum of uh, high school uh, at this stage that we, so those opportunities could be granted and gifted sooner. Uh, for me, I look at it now as the greatest gift of my life, but unfortunately the greatest gift of my life came through one of the most painful seasons. Mm. And that's, not necessarily a bad thing. We know that with the hero's journey, that's kind of part of the script, but it doesn't necessarily have to be because here's the problem. It's not everybody has the means. Not everybody gets lucky enough that when they go through painful transitions or seasons to get the right people around them at the right time, like I did. I was one of the, the privileged and fortunate ones that had the resources to pursue, to pursue good therapeutic support. And I found it. And, and had I not, my life could be a, on a completely different path. And who knows where I would be? And I know it wouldn't be in a healthy place. And who knows? I may not even be alive at this point. This, what I know is that this work in this field, in a sense, saved my life, uh, both literally and figuratively, because I love what I get to do now. And I don't know that would have happened otherwise. But yes, I mean, I, I, I dealt with some challenging circumstances uh, earlier in my life. My um, early 20s, I was on the trajectory of typical man's man script in that um, I wouldn't know an emotion if it hit me in the face. And I therefore had no outlet for offloading um, or processing adversity and stress. And so it all went in. And that is a very, very unsustainable and, and dangerous place for it to go. That's where addictions are born. It's where trauma is born. It's where a lot of mental health conditions are born. And I experienced several of those, meaning I had some anxiety and depression on board. And then I numbed that in a lot of uh, unhealthy ways. And it was it was fun for a minute. And then it just wasn't fun anymore. It quickly, thankfully, it ran out for me pretty quick. And then I got the opportunity to get some help 
and got some good people around me. And I, at that time, it was, it was one of the scariest and best opportunities of my life. And I keep finding myself at that pivotal crossroad where I thought I cannot believe it's gotten to here because culture, my faith had always told me that if you find yourself in need of serious help, then there's something really wrong with you. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it was one of God's best plans that he allowed us the privilege of needing each other. It's just our culture tells us that that's not an okay thing. And that's what I knew immediately when I got that opportunity to have the lights come back on. I thought, I want to rewrite that narrative with everything that I have so that we could all face each other, regardless of how we interact and where we meet one another, that we can look at each other, not as these independent beings who never need anything until the wheels are completely falling off, but that we need each other always. And that that's not something that's wrong with us. It's something that's right with us. So where do we, you know, you talked a minute ago about just your own, you said, you said the word privilege that you had opportunity and resource to dig into this. Uh, you know, again, if I go into some of my own work, uh, which a lot of it happens to be in the functional medicine realm, I can't get on here on the Ziegler show and talk about it. Well, I can, but then say, and so everybody go find a functional medicine practitioner now. Cause there's not that many out there. It's, it's not sustainable to tell people because if we send them in droves, I, I don't know that many, especially if you want a medical doctor or, or a DO that's a functional medicine practitioner. So I, there's a problem with scalability. Same thing as much as I'm going to shamelessly tell everybody to do what our buddy Donald Miller did and go to an onsite workshop, come to Nashville, spend time with you and your team. Not everybody can do that. I hope a lot of people do. Um, uh, but not everybody can, where can they start digging in or, or I'll even put it this way as a surgical strike for all of us, me included and the audience, where would you lead us to take an audit of ourselves and where's the first step we can take of, of even, I don't know. Do we just start with flat out awareness? What do I know? What do I not know in regards to emotional fitness and how can I, I guess the, you know, like most things, how can we at first get to the point of awareness and admission of, Oh, I have some deficits here that I need to work on. And it, and, and unfortunately, and I'm in the business of it. Mm-hmm. So it, it, meaning we're bringing together a high, high caliber offering and uh, it's expensive to pull off, you know, to get that kind of talent here and figure it all out. And so the, it is something that far too many people who don't have the resources don't have access to different levels of care. But I will say there are, from the public to the private sector and across the board, there are levels of care for everybody. I just wish they were more integrated. And I'm, I'm trying to do that. We're trying to diversify. We're aggressively trying to diversify our socioeconomic reach so that we're not just treating people of means or not say treating. We're not just supporting people of means. Um, but yeah, there, there's a big, there's a big deficit of that. Um, I think it's starting to change a little bit uh, in, in some circles and I won't get into that because that wasn't what you, what you necessarily asked, but I, I, I like to start and people are surprised with this because I think a lot of people would think I would just prescribe therapy and I don't know that it's the first place to go. Now, if you're in a crisis and uh, you're feeling uh, overwhelmed to a place that you think your life or the people around you might be a threat, 100% seek professional support. 
But if you're somebody who's never had um, a conversation about therapy and you've got big things happening in your life or, 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 or small things happening in your life, I would start with just an honesty inventory. And it's very simple. It's like, is there anybody in my life that I'm completely honest with? And it, 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 if there is great, but I would also take that a layer above or a layer below because I, I would have always said, of course, any of us that think we have a good or a best friend, we would assume that they know everything about us. And that's not necessarily the point to know everything, but chances are there's a whole lot about us that we've not shared with anybody. We find that to be a very common thing that people absolutely don't usually say the unsaid or speak truth into their story. And that's the first place I would start is, if you are one of the 90% that have a deficit of people that you can connect with or a community that you can connect with on deep, vulnerable, challenging things, then there's your start point. Identify it. And first of all, if you identify that, welcome to the club. It's the best club I've ever been in in my life because the minute I said yes to that, then I'm, I started the journey of becoming really, truly free. And I always thought, man, if I say no to that, that means I'm doing something wrong and I'm not getting it. Well, if you say yes to it in our culture, then it has nothing to do with what you're doing wrong. It just means that you're human uh, it, because it's just, it's just not out there in a big way. So start there and then identify somebody that you can either one-on-one -on -one or in a small group, be completely honest. If, if, it, if in your faith circles, if you're doing, I, I love in faith circles when they started doing small groups at home, because I think for the, mega church. It's a way for people to get real and connect with community. But most of them are curricular based, curriculum based, and some authors drop something in and they just, they're basically staying up here and I want them back here and try to disrupt or interrupt that a little bit. Whatever group you're in, invite it, talk about it, mirror it. And then I, I'll, you'd be surprised at how fast psychological safety can set in when somebody leads the path of getting vulnerable psychological safety. I don't think I've heard that put together, um, before that's sounds like a book right there in and of itself. Uh, on, on site, it says you guys offer services to aid in the healing and rebuilding of those who struggle from the effects of trauma, abuse, stress, mental health, and relationship issues. Uh, and my first thought was in, in all seriousness, is anyone really excluded from that list? Mm. I'm having a hard time finding them. I, 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 yes. I mean, there are probably some, but I think most everybody deals with that. We're just coming to the reality in the term of that. Okay. Well, so here's an, you know, from, uh, we mentioned before, you know, we're, we're, we're here for the personal deep dive, but we do have a lot of business, a lot of business owners, a lot of people who are, are working in small business and I'll, you know what, let's focus on that. Even outside of the corporate world, it, it, business is, is personal. It's, it's intimate for most folks. They're doing self-employed things. They're going after things they care about and it is intimate. And as I, again, dug into your stuff, I thought, gosh, I can see in my own businesses where we're hurting or not, not thriving as much as we could, uh, because of a, we could be emotionally fitter. Right. So here's again, going back to my side on the health and wellness arena. Those are things that you can't really ask about an employee. If you want to build a good solid team, you know, you might look on Facebook and see you stalk them a little bit and see, do they, they kind of have a healthy lifestyle? Do they look like they're okay? But you can't really uh, ask those questions. You can't get somebody's blood work and find out, oh my gosh, they're 
you know, two clicks from a heart attack. You can't ask those things on the same thing to understand someone's emotional health. I mean, I could see that with an employer with me go, gosh, Kevin, man, he he relates to people. Well, he can sell, he can be charismatic when he needs to and whatnot. And then find up down the road that man, he doesn't really share feelings and he doesn't deal with other people's feelings that well. How do you audit for something like that? I don't want to make this just an employer question, but you know, even for you, you've got a team of people. Gosh, I looked at your, your website at onsite workshops and you've got a, a zillion people involved on your team. You've got a, a huge team and maybe you've figured out a way, but again, from the average employer to figure out how, where's somebody, how do we audit when we're talking about how do we even audit our own emotional health, even more so, how do we look for that in others? Is it just a telltale signs of emotional health and, and wellness? If I want a team that I'm working with, I don't know how to vet people for that. We, we have two separate interviews, and I'm glad you, you pivoted towards business because a lot of people in the business sector assume that we're, uh, when we talk about emotional wellness, emotional health, and especially some of the things that we've unpacked so far, that, that they would kind of almost tune that out as that's woo-woo. Or I'll never forget the first time I sat in front of a Fortune 100 CEO that uh, was very curious about what we were doing, and he's wicked smart. So had enough insight to know that uh, as fast as they had, had grown and integrated and consumed companies, they had all these mixed cultures and uh, there were a million different things they were trying to connect the dots on, but it wasn't quite working. But when I started again, giving him not a pitch, but just describing what I've seen as healthy culture and how we've supported other businesses and other people and individuals and, and frankly, my own company, um, that, uh, he he quickly wrote it off to soft skills. He's like, Oh yeah, that's soft skill training. And I love what my my friend, um, Dr. Brene Brown says in her, her new book, dare to lead, which if you haven't read, or if you're a business leader and you haven't read, I think it's one of the best books out there right now on this topic. She said, if you, if you think it's soft skills, uh, to have vulnerable, hard conversations with, with employees that we typically leave out, um, or we overpower, then try it. And after you try it, tell me if it was soft or not. You know, it's, there's, no, there's nothing easy about it. It's one of the hardest things we do. It's just been misbranded a long time. And here's why. It's an easy way for executives to avoid that, that kind of conversation. Is we can stay completely in the safe part of our brains and look at it tactically, try to diagnose it. And if we can stay away from the emotional and feeling side, a place where we don't thrive, and it's not what necessarily got us here. But what we know is that if you avoid the emo- emotions, the emotional side uh, will keep you there. Your intellect may get you there, but if people are eventually going to sniff it out, if if you don't become self-aware as a leader, the way we interview people and and people often think because I'm in this space that I'm a, some counselor guy trying to tell people how to do business, and it doesn't give me a lot of credibility. And so sometimes I have to start with saying I've 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 scaled a, a business, and at the end of the day, yes, I'm passionate about the space. But I run a business and employ over 100 people, and and um, I, I know what it's like to have the challenges of scale, the challenges of sustaining a good culture, the challenges of recruiting and retaining good people. I, I, I've dealt with all that from as a CEO. Back to specifically your question, uh, we are very, very thorough and patient on interviews, and we don't just interview people for skill set. We interview people for culture fit. 
And we do. So we'll basically do three arms of an interview. It's, it's skill set, it's culture, and it's a behavioral style interview that helps us ask questions that don't blur the HR lines, but we can get to know a person deeper uh, by how we approach and ask questions to them. And I'd, I'd be happy to, to share that with you for, for your company, you know, after the interview, just to give you kind of what we, we use and have found effective. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm enamored. I'm thinking back to what you said. I, I, you know, in my own note taking that when we look at, let's say a third world country or whatever, where they experience trauma, but not depression that we're dealing with these yeah, first world privileged issues to a degree, very not to minimize them at all, but, but we are, I'm interested in that because again, I'm going to, and I'm going to quote something from the onsite uh, website that you list out, you deal with issues such as trauma, codependency, process addiction, stress, burnout, family of origin, shame, uh, resiliency, and help people overcome dysfunctional patterns and establish healthy relationships. Again, I'm for just for our own awareness, as I look at myself, my own you know, the culture that I live in, somewhat from that list, is there any are there any highlights that you're seeing you're seeing more issues around, I don't know, codependency it's on the rise or uh, addiction or stress or resiliency. Are there, as you have your own workshops there and you get such a cross section of different people, are there some issues that are seeming to be more prevalent now than five years ago? Yeah, I would say most all of them. I see all of it on the rise, particularly in our culture. And I want to, I shouldn't have said that there's no depression and anxiety. And Less. I want to, okay, well, sure. I don't retract it, but I want to clean it up and say okay. that, of course, there is. I mean, it's part of the human condition. So it, it exists, but I just don't see it exist on the scale that it does here. It's not as, it's not as prominent in my experience. And a lot of it's because we just don't know. We don't, you know, they don't, you know, you don't have a behavioral health uh, infrastructure there to assess, analyze and treat people. So I don't know how much of it exists. I just know it, it doesn't seem to be as prominent. Okay. So here's, here is, um, Oh, I, I, I know one more. One yeah, more yeah, please. But, uh, in my, I've been doing this for 15 years, which is not a long time in the, in the but I also have mentors and friends who've been doing it for 30, 40, and 50 years. And I was just with some of them yesterday who were on kind of the back end of their career and have, have worked in my space for a long time. And they would echo what I've been experiencing. These were other program operators and, and treatment center owners is that they we've seen a rise in almost everything. People seem to be more disconnected, more stressed, more, more numbed out. Suicide is at an all-time high uh, mental illness is at an all-time high. And so I, I don't say that to kind of uh, scare us into any kind of action. I just want us to acknowledge it and to realize we, Desmond Tutu has this um, beautiful quote that says, we've, we've got to stop pulling people out of the river and we need to go upstream and figure out why they're falling in. And I think that's where we are as, as, as a culture right now is we need to figure out what's going on that we're all moving so fast that we don't have time to be human. Goodness. Okay. So right on that, I, a question again, I'm going to pull from the, from the onsite, just so again, my own research where you talked about 
helping or the statement, the quote was helping individuals, couples, families, and business professionals become more self-aware, compassionate, and resilient. Back to what you said a minute ago about Brene Brown and her statement or her, I guess her, her pushback on soft skills. You know, is that really soft? That's what I thought about when I read that. I mean, I, I self-aware, compassionate, resilient. I, I'm starting to understand the gravity of that in my later years now, but at face value, it, it's, it's just not sexy. It's not a compelling, sexy thing to put out there. It feels, it feels altruistic. And it, you know, coming from the a church uh, and, and faith-based background, it sounds, it sounds relevant from there, but out in the real world that everybody's in where, with as much admission, we're kind of, you know, what's in it for me back to Don's, you know, what's going to help me thrive and survive. I, I feel like it's almost like I, what, what's the, what's the, and I asked this to some degree before, but it's, what's the billboard. What's the call it? Say folks, we're missing it. We're missing it. And we're all suffering and you're seeing it. It's not until we become broken. Maybe that's the question as I bumble around on what my question is, is before we break, in this area, before we have the crisis, which is what a, a divorce, depression, suicide, um, we're not looking at those with the gravity they should have: self awareness, compassion, and resiliency. And, I, and maybe I'll even pick out compassion. That that's not one that's you don't hear that in business. I don't see. Well, how's that going to add to my bottom line? That feels like a soft skill. And yet, how is it hurting me? And we're back to where we started with, I don't know what I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm in a counseling session with you right now, obviously. I, I mean, I am admittedly, this is an area where I feel like it may be the most blind area I have had in my life overall, and maybe even more so in my business life, because that's where I get accolades. That's where I think I'm really doing well. The check says so, the money says so, the, uh, the testimonials say so. And yet, well, gosh, it goes back. What was the, what was the quote that you said a minute ago that intellect gets you there? Emotions keep you there. God, it seems like that even speaks to the, you mentioned the millennials to the bouncing around of careers. We used to have one or two careers. Now we have 10. Are we back to, yeah, the, the emotional ill health is what's eroding us maybe primarily and part of it. And I'm guilty of this too, because we've got a lot of millennials on staff and they're phenomenal is I will look at their resume or, uh, as you said, stalk them on socials, which is always a fun strategy yeah. and see that everybody has, has moved a lot. And I used to look at that as, well, that's problematic. And I don't think we can ignore it, but now I ask the question, why do they feel like they're having to move so much? Why can't they find a home? Because most of the people are ex, you know, like me I'm, who own the companies. Uh, and what is it that we're creating that doesn't feel safe for them to stay grounded and, and thrive and do what they want to do? I have the ability to do that now because I've got a high shame ceiling and it used to be very low. And when leaders have a low shame ceiling, then there's not a lot of room uh, for mirror moments for them to ask, what's my part in this? You know, how can I improve this? What's my contribution to culture? Because when I do that, and you've heard me do that a few times in this conversation, is I'm not looking at them, I'm looking at me. I don't hear that as I'm, screw, I'm, I'm screwing up. And if I'm screwing up, it must mean that I'm a screw up. And if I'm a screw up, I'm not capable. And Bob, even going down the rabbit hole, I don't look at it that way. I look at it like, wow, I'm so, what a, what a gift that I have enough 
self-awareness and resiliency on board that I can be empathetic with myself in real time and point out where I'm getting it wrong and see that as an opportunity, not a threat. And I think when we get more leaders in that disposition, I think we'll, the, the, the world could change simply through the lens of leadership. And, and you said it earlier, it's about being being broken is when we usually look at these things. And I don't I don't think it's it's all one or the other. We're either broken or we're whole. I think there are parts of us that are always broken. And I wish I could usher people's broken parts to the surface sooner because it'll be the best gift they'll ever have in their life if they do something with it. But the broken parts that we all have are the ones that we stuff down. Um, and some of us just manage them through our entire life and have a pretty mediocre life. And I, we just, I've learned we just don't have to do that anymore if we can create opportunities to embrace both the broken parts of us and the whole parts of us. I think it's you know, through a spiritual lens. I think it's the way you know God intended it, it to be. It's just unfortunately we have set it up. You also said something earlier that I, I really liked is how, how do I get interested in this and hear the words that you are part of your mission and vision and make them sound sexy and hip. And I think that's what I'm after too. And I, I don't know that I know the answer to that, but what I don't want to do, and I think I've done it and I want to be careful that we don't do it. Even here, you and I both as passionate people about getting this topic out there for ourselves and for our listeners is that we're not trying to sell them something. Uh, you said in the beginning that early days in the self-help movement that it could feel a little manipulative. And I wanted to ask more about that, but I think I understood what you were saying. Um, and I felt that way and still do sometimes around our faith construct that mm. uh, reason I, I have this unique fortune of being a believer who has a lot of believer Christian friends and have a lot of secular friends and who are non-believers. And I get this really dual perspective and it's fun to hear from, and not that I'm not one of those that are trying on a mission to try to convert anybody. I respect people's position and their faith, but I'm also curious about what it is that turns people off about things. Mm-hmm. And many of my non-believer friends will say, I, I feel manipulated and like they're trying to sell me something that something's missing. And I've seen that to be a not sustainable way because we're seeing uh, that movement kind of shrink a little bit instead of grow. And so I'm looking at we've got an opportunity to do that differently. And so at the very, just to break it down, I I don't think emotional health is something you need. I'm not telling you that without this, you're going to do this, this or this. I'm just telling you it's something you deserve and it can absolutely enhance your life. And in some cases, it can save your life and make it more whole. Well, you mentioned a a minute ago that we can go forward as we are without awareness here and have a, in, in, in a sense, a mediocre life or have some mediocrity as part of our life. And you know, I know part of your mission and with onside is, and it's a quote that I pulled out is the helping guests reach their full potential of emotional freedom. Well, again, so back over here in my life and in functional medicine, I want to be as fully functional as I can mentally and, and physically, but even that's, you know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily thinking about emotional freedom. I'm going to put out here, even outside of that, I think I can, I can pursue it as I have perceived it be fully functioning physically, mentally, mentally capable, but emotionally, do I have emotional freedom? It's probably, I just got through, I I meet every Thursday with a group of guys. We do life together. That's what we end up talking about at the core of it, that there's so much richness in our life, so much to be grateful for so many blessings. Uh, and yet where do we not feel fully functional? 
I'd say it's right here. It's emotional freedom. Matter of fact, I want to pull out something uh, that you said a minute ago, and you, you mentioned it, a shame ceiling. The word shame, I had no connection with until, again, the latter years of my, my current life. Uh, a shame ceiling, high or low. Define, give, me a little, give me a little more on that. Define a little bit uh, someone who has a high or low shame ceiling, because I would say from my yeah, recent years in counseling, I, I've, I have had, and I'm still struggling with a pretty low shame ceiling. Yeah. And, and, and I have too. And, and often, uh, depending on what season of life or what I'm dealing with, it can absolutely come back down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can be in a uh, stress response and I can be anchored in my shame. But the difference is now is that I usually can identify, understand, and know that and be able to course correct. And I like that metaphor just because it doesn't take it out of the building. It just says it's low or it's high, but it's always kind of there. I think the way we deal with uncomfortable uh, emotions is we try to kill them off. And people, I hear people do, especially motivational speakers and really smart people do that with fear all the time. They're like, Fear. Let's. We need to kill fear. Fear is the enemy. I sat here that a lot in faith circles too, and um, it's fear is a totally normal, healthy emotion. And fear is not the problem. It's our relationship with fear. And if we have a different relationship with it, then it we can change the way it influences our responses. And I think the same with shame. I don't. I'm not out um, to kill it. Some days I wish I could because I hate that it still kind of hangs around for me. Some of those old scripts. Yeah. Uh, but I just like the fact that they're not as prominent as they used to be. Uh, but, they, you know, they, they're still at the table for me. Uh, and sometimes I, I've got to remove them. But there are other times they can be there and be pretty quiet uh, because I have enough health on board that I know how to navigate that differently than I used to. Man, I, I, you described as a male, er, er, especially men. It's so common, uh, especially men in leadership and they're doing successful things to, to have a lot of shame driving them. And most of them having never had the opportunity to do shame work, which is some of the most important work I've ever had the opportunity to do. Well, I, and I want everybody to dig in more. I want, you talked about, you've been writing on this. I hope it's a book. I want the book. We'll have you back on the show when you have that book ready for us. Um, in the meantime, I mean, all our folks are, are, are listening, uh, they're podcast listeners, and I will be driving them to go to your unspoken podcast so they can hear you dig in more on all of these. And then, of course, those who can do that, man, I appreciate your perspective there. Again, in my uh, work in the wellness side, it's frustrating to have what we do is expensive. And I don't want to just cater to the privileged, to cater to the people who can afford it, because it's often the people that can't afford it that, that may need it most. And so appreciate your perspective there. But for those who can, I want them to uh, uh, check out what you're doing at OnSite there in Nashville. And um, it's something to some degree, I feel like, who doesn't need that? I think we all, we all do. I need to check it out myself uh, as well. But man, thank you for doing what you do, and thank you for taking the time to share it with us here today. Yeah, I'm actually, I want to dig into your unspoken podcast as well, because I'm so, I could do a show on probably five or six things that you said today. Um, Miles, just thank you. Thank you for bringing our attention to this. I'm going to be keeping a pulse on what you're doing so that myself and more of those that I have the honor to have influence with will digest uh, 
your message on emotional health. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. And just to, to, to close, I, I want to acknowledge and affirm, I think I'll have an opportunity as somebody who leads in this space to hopefully innovate and make some impact. But anybody from any space who has um, people who hear them and listen to them, who are willing to talk about this, they're the ones that are going to change it. This culture, I don't think we'll change it from our seat. Um, I think culture will change it when they get interested enough. So I just affirm you as someone who obviously is in the wellness space, but also passionate about uh, leadership. The fact that you'd have me on as a guest and just find this a viable topic is encouraging. So thank you. Uh, well, I do because I see the issue it has in my own life. And as again, being involved in personal development where we, we kind of as a culture digest or, or, or bring in, we get exposed to so much. It's almost like the daily drug, the daily dopamine hit, which is great. But then we often aren't making the necessary changes and then seeing the results of that in later life. It brings me to what's at the root. And to me, this feels like a significant root. So uh, again, uh, thank you. And um, we'll, I'll be looking forward to digging in more with you. Great. Yeah, me as well. Well, friends, if there was ever a show too weighty to merely listen to once and move on from, this might be it. Emotional fitness. How can we find out our level of health? Where are we blind? And it seems like Miles' main action step that we can all take right now is to start talking openly with someone or uh, some folks who know us and get feedback. It's a daunting exercise, I think, but what is the option? It's remaining blind, and I don't think any of us, after hearing this, will want that. So again, you can connect with Miles at onsite, S-I-T-E, workshops.com. And if you got value from the show, please do Miles a favor. Let him know. Leave a review in iTunes for The Ziggler Show and mention this show. Well, coming up next in show 660, we are holding up self-awareness as a holy grail of success. I often say the most dangerous enemy of our life is what we don't know, what we're blind to. And it's even worse if we're talking about an area of self-awareness we think or assume we're good at and are actually not. Uh, so in show 655, my guest was high performance coach Alan Stein, and we spent a majority of our time talking about the value and necessity of self-awareness. The reality that even with high profile NBA pro basketball players, the, the number one ingredient for their long-term success is self-awareness. So I wanted to put the issue to you, of course, and I posted this question in Facebook. What is something about yourself you were once unaware of and are now gratefully self-aware and how has it benefited you? Uh, great responses. And I had Alan himself join me to review your comments. I'll tell you, I, I sometimes feel that these candid question and answer sessions with you, the Ziegler audience are as profound, if not more than our main interviews where we initially dig into the issue. So hope you can join us until then, as always, thank you for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. Mm -hmm.